Welcome to Canada's National Bible Hour. This is Brian Albrecht, your host and president of Mission Go. Today our text is taken from the book of Romans, chapter 1, verse 16, a very famous verse, for it says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first, and to also the Greek. This verse tells me that all mankind have an opportunity to have a relationship with God. And that relationship comes through the preaching of the gospel, which this verse claims has real power. In other words, every time we tell someone about the truth of the scripture, that Jesus Christ was God, became man, who went to the cross and bore our sins in his own body, and took our place on the cross, he was our substitute, he is our savior and we're sinners and we need a savior. And every time we proclaim this truth, there's a power of God with that and it can tr transform hearts and minds as we share the good news of the gospel to those around about us and all across the world. We would like to introduce this special edition directly from the field. Please excuse the quality of this online call. This is a radio edition of Mission Moments, and this is Melissa Vandermeer standing in for Dr. Brian Albrecht. What are the goals of the elderly home? Our main goals for the elderly home is salvation, to know Christ as their personal Savior, number one, security so that they can experience, have the dignity and the sense of belonging to help them on their mental, emotional, physical, and spiritual well-being that is of integral importance to us for each individual. And to be a safe haven to experience God's love, his peace, his joy, and the hope that would encompass everything that our home stands for. Those are phenomenal goals. That's beautiful. Are the folks at the home saved, unsaved, or a mix of both? 
I'd suggest it's more so a mix of both. Obviously, India being a Hindu country, we have a number of individuals who come to us um, who are of different faith and different walks, um, whether they're Muslims or Hindus or Christians, we accept them from all backgrounds, but ultimately we want them to truly experience what Christ's love is about, right? And so um, our calling basically is to reach the unreached for Christ. And so those who have never experienced um, what the Lord, um, uh, about salvation, to talk to them about the Lord Jesus Christ, it's wonderful to see those who don't know about the Lord to experience this change and to experience what love truly is. And so indeed, it's a mix of both. We do have some who do come from Christian backgrounds, but predominantly do we have Hindus, Muslims, and all kinds of backgrounds with religions. Well, would you be willing to share any of the names of the residents needing salvation so we can pray for them? Two individuals really do come to my mind. Miss Gomathy, G-O-M-A-T-H-Y, that's how we spell it. Um, she just came to us abused from her. Her son was very abusive. He was beating her and she was in tears. She picked up the phone and happened to call me. And so I was able to attend the call and I said, yes, we do have a place for you. And I mean, I was able to we follow the admission process, but she came into her home within a week's time she experienced God's love. And like, it's amazing to see the transition that I saw in her. And she was saying, you know, I don't know Jesus, but I believe him. And I'm starting to pray. And I'm starting to um, feel so much better. There's this peace in my heart. U-M-A-T-H-Y. She also, Vasmadi, she actually sat beside me and says, ma'am, can I pray? Can I say it? And she's from a Hindu background. I said, please go ahead and pray. In her meager small amount of faith, there she was, my eyes filled with tears because here I am sitting with no knowledge of Christ to come and experience and taste his love and to start praying because we make it a point to express how important it is to pray, to cast our burdens upon the Lord. So there she was praying. And for these two dear sisters, if you can pray that God would indeed help them to truly experience salvation and take on baptism that would they're so near <laughs> that's the thing they're so near as to really at that verge of accepting the lord and so i would definitely those are two names that come to my to my mind thank you for sharing that we will pray for them Amen. that's beautiful well mano thank you for taking the time to talk with us i know that we love hearing from you and the listeners love hearing uh, if you would, join us next week for more information on this house and this ministry. Thank you so much for listening to CAS National Bible Hour. As you're aware, this is a listener-supported program, and we cannot continue to be on the air without your support. So we appreciate you praying and asking the Lord how you can help us. This month we're offering a wonderful booklet, A Thankful Heart in a World of Hurt by Joni Erickson Tata. This booklet I found to be very, very helpful. It does several things for me and hopefully it will do the same for you. First of all, it explains what true contentment is with the Lord. It talks about having joy in the midst of tremendous suffering, hardship, hurts, and all kinds of difficult people that we run into. I found it to be tremendously helpful to my own spiritual life, and I know it'd be very helpful to yours as well. One of the 
principles that's in this booklet is the idea of counting your blessings. I remember uh, we used to sing, count your blessings, name them one by one. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 to 18 says, Be joyful always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. I really encourage you to write in to get this booklet, A Thankful Heart. And if you do that, I'd be glad to get you a copy. To order your copy, please write Canada's National Bible Hour, Box 1210, St. Catharines, Ontario, L2R 7A7, or in the United States at Box 2010, Buffalo, New York, 14231. Today's message is from Dr. Fred Hartman and is part of his prophecy series in the book of Isaiah. Printed copies are available upon request. Having served as pastor of three different churches through the years, I learned that the ministry can be full of surprises. A letter from a pastor reveals this truth. He could play the bagpipes and was often called on to play them at special events. One day he received a phone call from a local funeral director asking him to play Amazing Grace at the grade-sized service of a homeless man who had no family or friends. He was to be buried in a pauper cemetery far out of town in a very obscure place. As a typical guy thing, he failed to ask for directions and got lost. He arrived an hour late and assumed the funeral director had already left. He saw three men with shovels eating their lunch. After apologizing for being late, he walked over to the grave and saw the concrete vault lid in place. So to fulfill his commitment, he went to the side of the grave and began to play Amazing Grace. The workers put down their lunches and gathered around while he played the best he knew how for this poor, homeless man. The workman even began to weep as he played. When he finished, he went back to his car to leave. As he opened the door, he heard one of the workmen say, I never saw a thing like that before, and I've been putting in septic tanks for 20 years. 
Needless to say, that pastor had a rude awakening, and he is not alone. One day the world will be in for a rude awakening. After the rapture takes place, the entire world will go into the seven-year tribulation period. They will be as shocked as that pastor was. In Matthew 24, Jesus was speaking privately to his disciples. In verses 5 through 12, he makes some statements about the tribulation period. As I read them, ask yourselves if any of these promises are beginning to fall into place today. And Jesus answered and said to them, Take heed that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and deceive many. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines, pestilences, and earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginning of sorrows. Then they will deliver you to tribulation and kill you, and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will be offended, will betray one another, and will hate one another. Then many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. And because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. In his answer to the question the disciples had asked, Jesus, he told them of 13 different things that would happen during the tribulation. Today I'd like to briefly go through each one of these to see if we can determine whether or not some of these promises are at least beginning to fall into place today. If they are, we could very well be seeing that the stage is set and the prelude is taking place for what Jesus promised his disciples. We will only touch on some of these events today, but we will cover a few of them in more detail in future messages. The first example Jesus uses is many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ, and will deceive many. There are several ways we can look at this. First of all, there are some who have made this claim. There was a Jewish rabbi in New York who certain groups of Jews claimed to be the Messiah until he died. Then there was Mr. Moon, who made great claims about himself and deceived many. We can also find today there's what we might call easy believism. You simply have to believe in Jesus, but have no change in your lifestyle and or produce no fruit of the Spirit in your life. There are a lot of people who sit in our churches that fit this picture of being deceived this way. The second thing that Jesus refers to as taking place in the end time is wars and rumors of wars, and nations will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. Just think of the nations that are either at war or close to it. 
India is at war with Pakistan. China and India are fighting along their borders. Syria is still fighting a civil war. Iran is terrorizing the Middle East and threatening to wipe out the little Satan Israel and the big Satan the United States. China is threatening to take back Taiwan, just as it did Hong Kong. Iranian-backed groups like Hamas, Hezbollah, Islamic Jihad, and others are causing all sorts of terror in the Middle East. Wars could break out at any time. How many more do we need to show that there are wars and rumors of wars just as Jesus predicted? The third thing Jesus predicted was an increase in famines. Let me give you some statistics. The World Health Organization recently stated that one-third of the world is well-fed. The second-third faces hunger, and the third-third is starving. They predict that four million people will die of starvation this year alone. They also maintain that 12,000 square miles of Africa is turning into desert each year because of the environmental restrictions and governmental corruption. China is losing 4,000 square miles of land each year to deserts because of massive drifting sand dunes. It is estimated that one person dies in the world from hunger every 3.6 seconds. Jesus certainly knew what he was talking about when he predicted these events would occur near and in the end times. The next thing Jesus mentioned that would increase near the end times is pestilence. Webster defines this as a deadly epidemic, disease, or plague. I do not believe I need to go into a great deal of detail here, as the world has been going through the COVID-19 pandemic. It has affected the entire world. Multitudes have had it, and millions have died from it worldwide. Health experts were at a loss, not knowing how to treat it or how to prevent people from getting it. The next thing Jesus mentions is that near the end times, there would be an increase in earthquakes. Let me give you a few statistics that I found about earthquakes just in the United States. From 1800 to 1900, there were 18 recorded. From 1910 to 1929, there were four recorded. From 1930 to 1949, nine were recorded. In the 1950s, there were also nine recorded. In the 1960s, 13 were recorded. In the 1970s, there were 51 recorded. And in the 1980s, there were 86 recorded. And from 1990 to 1994, over a hundred were recorded. However, in the week of December 20th, 2006, 
there were 454 recorded. And in the week of February the 8th, 2008, there were 1,100 earthquakes recorded. It is impossible to believe the number and severity of earthquakes are declining. I just read an article published by CBS News that Iceland had experienced 20,000 earthquakes between February the 24th and March the 6th, 2021. It is apparent that Jesus knew what he was talking about. The next several indications of how we are to, to, to be in the end times is given by the use of several words Jesus, Jesus used to explain what would happen to believers in him near the end times. You will be hated. You will face false accusations. Many will be offended because of your faith. They will betray you and bring you and bring false accusations against you. You do not have to have a PhD in psychology to realize the world is facing every one of these issues today. For example, consider how many Christians around the world have suffered terrible atrocities and even death for their faith. In Africa and the Middle East, thousands of Christians have been imprisoned, tortured, and murdered for their faith. The same thing is happening in China, where many Christians have either been hauled off to slave labor camps, disappeared, or were slain. Recently, I read where a church was having services in China, and soldiers came and burned the church to the ground with the people still inside. Within the last month, there was a debate in the U.S. Congress about abortion. Both sides were making their arguments, and one congressman stood and quoted from the scripture to make his point. The chairman of the debate stopped him, scolded him for using scripture, and blatantly said, there is no room for God in this room. What a change from the position our forefathers held when they based the Constitution of the United States on the Bible. How far have we as a nation departed from those principles? In verse 8 of the passage we are studying, Jesus said, All these are the beginning of sorrows. The idea here is that they are the birth pangs that a woman faces when she is about to deliver a child. Usually, her labor is, has very little pain in the beginning, but it increases in intensity as the time of delivery approaches for the birth of her child. Jesus is making, a, making it clear that before the terrible days of the tribulation period, there will be the beginning and preparation for the events that will follow. I am absolutely convinced that this is what we are seeing today, and the rapture of the church is very imminent. In verse 12, Jesus makes it very clear that lawlessness will abound. We do not have to search very long or far 
to see once again that Jesus knew exactly what he was talking about. We can start right at the top and see how corrupt governments are around the world. Many are involved very closely with the drug cartels and human trafficking. Leaders often are put in power by the people, and they turn on the very ones who put them there by abusing the power given them. As an example of this, here in the United States, we have immigration laws, yet our leaders ignore them, allowing illegals to come in, often with serious criminal backgrounds, and cause the average citizen to pay for their health care, schooling, welfare, and many other benefits that they themselves get, but the citizens do not. We are we could carry this thought of lawlessness down to what is going on in cities and towns where it seems that protests and riots are taking place on a regular basis while officials turn the other way and do nothing to stop it. Finally, Jesus told his disciples that as this time approaches, the love of many will grow cold. Do you remember when you first came to know the Lord? You were anxious to honor him in every area of your life. You were excited and happy, filled with an inner joy to tell others of your newfound faith. You never missed the service at your church, and you were ready to serve the Lord at any time or at any cost. Where's that first love now? What is the most important thing in your life now? In the second chapter of the book of Revelation, the Lord, through the beloved apostle John, warns the church of Ephesus that even though they were doing much that was right, they have left their first love. Just as Jesus promised, so many Christians take their faith for granted, and so often the things of the Lord grow dim in their lives. Once again, we see very clearly that Jesus knew what he was talking about. Though we know the things of what we have spoken will reach their fruition in the tribulation period, I believe we're seeing the early birth pains. Because of this, we know that the end-time events are very close. Since the rapture of the church will take place before these are completely fulfilled. We had better be looking up, waiting for the sound of the trumpet to call the believer home. In light of this, child of God, how is your life doing? Are you ready to meet the Lord? I trust that you are. I know the message you just heard was a great blessing to you, and I trust throughout this week you'll be able to apply it to your life. Here at Canada's National Bible Hour, we're really concerned not only about people growing in their faith and being discipled by the Word of God, but also there may be some listening to us who don't know Jesus Christ personally. They know about Jesus. They may be in a religion but they don't know him personally. And Jesus tells us through the disciple John, but as many as receive him, unto them gave he the right to become the child of God. In other words, you need to ask Jesus Christ to come into your life. 
The reason you need to do this is because all of us are sinners, and the Bible tells us that sin will put us in a bad place. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God, according to Romans chapter 3, verse 23. And then Romans 6, 23 says, But the wages of that sin, the wages of any little sin, any little lie that you say, the wages of sin is death, that's spiritual death, that's separation from God. That means that you won't go to heaven at the end of your life. But the wages of sin is death. But the gift, the gift of God, eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So you need to ask Jesus to come into your life. You can do that by confessing to God that you are a sinner and you need grace, that you need a Savior, and ask him to come into your life as I did many, many years ago. He did, and God changed my life and allowed me to have a life that's been very fulfilling over all these years. And we're giving away this copy of The Greatest Commandment, and if you want your copy, please write to Canis National Bible Hour, Box 1210, St. Catharines, Ontario, L2R 7A7, or in the United States at Box 2010, Buffalo, New York, 14231. And you can find past programs of Canis National Bible Hour on our website, which is missiongo.org, M-I-S-S-I-O-N-G-O dot O-R-G. I trust God will bless your life and draw you close to him throughout this week.